Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz. I want to welcome all of our viewers from around the world. Thank you for joining me tonight. If you're joining us for the first time and want more information about our show, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. This show is streamed simultaneously to five different social media platforms, including YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. It is a pleasure to have you all here with me tonight, where we get to talk about horror, the latest headlines, the latest news, and we're going to be talking about some of the best, worst horror remakes uh, that we have seen. I would definitely put the higher percentage in the worst when it comes to horror reboots but we have had some gems in there as well that have been very nicely redone so stay with us over the next hour as we discuss all that i want to say a big thank you and a welcome to all our moderators marie's on instagram we have saz and love khaleesi on youtube and of course facebook and twitch and twitter thank you all you guys for uh helping us out let me say hello to some of our guests, our viewers tonight. We have Colette, of course, our longtime viewer, as is Philip, joining us on Facebook. Hard Productions is with us on uh, YouTube as well. We have Lindsay Sparks. Good to have you back with us, Lindsay, from Canada. Viviana is also with us. Welcome to all you guys. Christopher Cunningham says, I look forward to the show every night. Well, that's awesome, Christopher. It's good to have you with us every night. So thank you so much for joining us. Mary Martins 45 is with us on Instagram. Welcome longtime viewer Mary. It's good to have you with us. Rio is also joining us on Instagram. Marina, welcome to all you guys on Instagram as well. Oropez is also giving us a thumbs up on Instagram. Good, nice big crowd. We have a we had a huge crowd last night, and it looks like we have a nice big crowd again tonight. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, not a lot in the way of uh, Walking Dead news today, but I saw this headline and I absolutely agree with it. The headline says, why it's time to give The Walking Dead another chance. As we have discussed endlessly here on this show, a lot of people stopped watching after Abraham and Glenn got whacked off the show, literally. In the beginning of season seven, uh, they cannot watch any further. Hell, we've even had prior stars on the show who could not continue watching after that season seven premiere, seeing friends dying in the vicious way that they died at the hands of Negan in the season premiere of season seven. But it's been a lot of years now. We've all had a chance to grieve the loss of Glenn and Abraham. The Walking Dead is back. It is strong. Uh, it's They're wrapping up an amazing season 10 that is uh, split into three different parts. We have part A, part B, and we're currently uh, in the tail end of part C. We only have two episodes left of these bonus six episodes to go. And then season 10 of The Walking Dead is in the books. And uh, we have to wait till probably this fall to get season 11. But I saw this headline and I absolutely agree with it. For those 
that were Walking Dead fans and just could not continue watching after Season 7 or the end of Season 6, I think it's time to at least come back and give the show a chance. Yeah, it was hard losing Glenn and Abraham and the manner in which we lost them. The last that, you know, especially if people had not watched another episode since that premiere, you, Negan has come a long way. I would definitely not say full circle yet, but he has come a long way from that person that did kill Glenn and Abraham. He is trying to find redemption, even though in my personal opinion, full redemption does not exist for Negan. Uh, there is a path for him to be in the group's somewhat good graces, but as far as full redemption, there is just a line that he crossed that once you cross it, there is no coming back, no matter what you do. Really, no matter what you do, even sacrificing your own life for others, which I don't think Negan is there yet. We know that he cares about the people in Alexandria. He has said as much. But as far as me seeing him lay down his life to save any single one of them, I, I don't think he's there. Not yet, at least. Not yet. It could change. Uh, welcome to Stone Walkers, who's uh, just joined us on uh, YouTube. Uh, Philip writes, I'm still a big fan, just like a few actors. Uh, Singer Chick is joining us tonight. Uh, welcome, Singer Chick. Uh, Zoe is with us on Twitter. He's, uh, Zoe says, I agree. Give it another chance. And yeah, me too. It's, give it a chance. Give it a chance. Uh, you know, the Savior War, I would not say pick up where you left off. Because Season 7 is, is really a lot of what we saw in the premiere. Where Negan has his boot on the throat of all the communities. And they just cannot catch a break all the way up until the finale. Uh, season 8 is All Out War. Season 8, in my opinion, is one of my favorite seasons. And... I know it's not, a lot of people don't like season eight. I personally loved season eight. That's my opinion. Uh, but there are, there are a lot of critics who say that the whole savior arc lasting two full seasons was too long. And I agree uh, on that issue. Uh, I think the first half of season seven, if they would have made that, what we saw in the entirety of season seven, if they would have condensed that to just the first half of season seven, and then possibly begin all out war in the second half of season seven and have it continue into season eight, wrapping it up maybe by the mid season of season eight, I think that would have uh, gotten a much more, you know, friendly reception. But, no, I mean, they, the way they did it, it's done now. The entirety of Season 7 was all about Negan. Like I mentioned, his boot on everyone's throats. And I love that line. That's that's a line that Rick used at the end of All Out War uh, in the final moments when he had Negan 
handcuffed to that uh, infirmary bed, and he was telling him that the days of him leading by having his boot down everyone's throats, those days are over. And I love that line from Rick Grimes, and I love using it. So anyway, let's go ahead and read this article. So it starts off by saying, okay, look, I get it. I know that occasionally it's not just because of the saddest deaths that make people want to leave a show. I know that there are certain thresholds that a show reach sometimes where they just don't feel the same anymore and they've gone on for so long. It's why shows like Breaking Bad will always be the epitome of what good television is like because they know when to end it properly to make sure the story always stays great. Many TV shows don't do that and outstay their welcome. And I have to add to that list of Breaking Bad is uh, Bates Motel. That's another series on a completely other network that knew exactly when to wrap it up. Uh, However, the one show that has gone on for so long that I do believe you should give another chance is AMC's The Walking Dead and is finally going into its last season later in 2021. Obviously, this show is nowhere near as popular as it used to be, but I'm here to tell you why you should sit down and maybe binge watch The Walking Dead recent seasons. The Walking Dead had its lows, but it's also had some insane high lately. The world building has been expanded greatly. I remember when a lot of people started to drop away from the series. It felt like Rick's group was always just trekking along, finding a new place to settle down. Then somehow something happens to that safe place and they have to get back on the road and start all over again. It was the same process over and over and over. And I can understand why any Walking Dead fans with a brain would begin to lose interest and watch something else. And the writer goes on to say, I almost did. But I can assure you that there are some time they've really expanded this world. There haven't been any real local location changes since around season five. If anything, they've only expanded the area in which the characters exist, giving more opportunities for plenty of new survivors from different areas, almost making this tiny survival area into a brand new world for everyone's favorite character. They've upped their game so much. The threats have been exponentially bigger and badder. Another big issue I had a long time ago was the threats on The Walking Dead didn't seem to escalate that much. I felt like everyone knew who the governor was. He was this big baddie that seemed to be nice on the outside, but sinister on the inside. We spent a season and a half following this guy, all the way up to a war that separated our survivors from the prison. But after that, the threats didn't seem to go anywhere. We've had some groups thrown in for a couple of episodes that were very much an issue, such as the wolves or the cannibals at Terminus. But the group always seemed to figure out how to get rid of them 
very quickly and move on with their lives while trying to find shelter or their next home. It didn't feel as prolonged as it used to be or as fleshed out. Now, though, the threats are just as big as before. I feel like there was a return to season one, The Walking Dead, with some of the most recent episodes, while season seven and eight focused on more human conflict, while simultaneously introducing one of the best Walking Dead villains, season nine and ten upped their game so much in the terms of villains and threats, and they they are referring to the Whisperers. Let's just say that the humans are no longer the big threat in those. It's walkers, big time. And it feels like a flashback to the original seasons, where that was the only threat. It's refreshing where not every villain thrown in there feels like a filler for the sake of needing a threat. The conflicts now are long and lasting and have several horrible outcomes. It's what an apocalypse is supposed to be. They've created wonderful backstories for new characters. Back in season five, the group of survivors arrived at Alexandria, a hopeful community that could offer a bit of normalcy. This new area gave plenty of new characters, but I just did not click with them. It's not that there was anything truly wrong with who they were. They were just bland, with not much personality or story. However, there are some awesome characters in the later seasons of The Walking Dead that are not only inclusive, but incredibly relatable. For example, in Season 9, we are introduced to another group of survivors, all with their own quirks and personalities. One of them is named Connie, and she is actually deaf in an apocalypse world. Think about it. That is one amazing concept where you live in a world that relies on the ability to hear threats from a a decent distance and prepare yourself. It's so interesting, and not only that, but she has a fantastic backstory to follow. She's just one of the many examples I could put here on characters that I know you'll come to love if you gave The Walking Dead one more shot. Because honestly, I've come to care for them too now. They've also added on so much story to fan favorites. I'm going to admit that I was one of the Daryl fangirls. At the beginning of the show, I absolutely loved this dude's character. I loved that he was this closed-off guy with a big heart who just wanted to try and find some way to help without getting too close, emotionally. I could understand why he was doing it, but by God, did he annoy me in the later seasons. All they did was make him grunt and groan and take away any character aspect that we all liked about him. And that's very true. You cannot really argue with that. The same goes for many of the other characters as well. For so long, they were making such terrible decisions, and I felt that if we had truly lost the group of survivors we, we all became close to at the beginning of The Walking Dead. 
That was what made the show so good. Not the zombies around them, but the people fighting back against them. In more recent seasons, though, they really dig deep back into these characters that we adore and give them stories that are some of the best. One of the most recent episodes covered a major character development for Daryl. Michonne has become a seriously badass woman who has the best heart in the world. I even learned to love Carol because for a long time, I hated all the decisions she was making. They've done a complete 180 on these characters from previous seasons, and I love it. The story doesn't feel like it drags along. I feel like I mentioned this earlier, but in the earlier seasons of The Walking Dead, there were so many episodes that, that felt like they should not have been there. Many were filler, where the characters didn't do much, and just sort of walked around in a forest trying to find shelter. Look, we get it. You live in a world where nothing is guaranteed, but it doesn't mean we have to see every little second of it. But that's not the case anymore, especially now in season 10. Every episode feels like it's needed, from the introduction of the characters from the beginning of a battle to an episode featuring the background of one survivor to another showing prep for war. Every single one of them feels earned. There is no dragging along with the story so that they can just reach 16 episodes. Each entry we have into the Walking Dead saga this time around makes sense in its own respective degree. And honestly, I'm here for it. I hope that the last season will provide just as much action, story, and character development as the last seasons have. I hope the upcoming Walking Dead movies are just as awesome as well. While I do understand why many would drop this show, I do hope that you go back and watch it once again. I promise you that the characters you cherished are back and better than ever, and the world has changed so drastically that you'll find yourself in awe of how much has developed. Even so, I know I'll still be taking a seat on my couch and watching season 11, regardless whenever it premieres in 2021. For one last ride with the Walking Dead crew, I wish that you all do the same. And... I cannot find a single part of that article that I disagree with. <laughs> it is absolutely true. And it was uh, beautifully written. Let's see what you guys have been saying. Lindsay says, Connie is one of my favorite characters. How can you not love Connie? I mean, I mean, talk about a badass. Uh, yeah, she is deaf, but it doesn't hold her back. She doesn't feel any pity for herself no one you know she everyone who knows her knows that she's a badass and we know that she was out there on her own yeah she didn't look like uh she was in the best of shapes when we saw her in the final moments of episode 16 when she came across virgil but to just stay alive on your own while having uh while not having the ability to hear is just 
uh, statement on its own. KB is with us on YouTube saying Negan and the governor had a full force. Uh, yeah, and I've said this before. Yeah, Negan did a great job playing the part of the evil villain, but now we're getting to see that he actually does have a conscience and a heart. The governor was just straight up a psychopath. He did not have any feelings. I do not believe he has the ability to show, display, or feel any emotions. The dude was just nuts. He was crazy. He was a psychopath. He would, he, you know, he smiled in your face and then would definitely stab you in the back if it was to his benefit. And he will make psychopaths so dangerous is that he can, right in front of you, kill an innocent human being and then turn to you and explain it and make you 100% believe, believe that the reason why he just killed that person was justified. That's how good of a psychopath he was. And, you know, Morrissey, David Morrissey did a brilliant job in portraying the governor. Uh, let's see. Singer Chick writes, I love Dale and Herschel. A lot of people did not like Dale, but I just loved him. I loved Dale. Uh, Dale was awesome. And I remember the episode where Dale died and watching it live. It, it affected me. It really did affect me. I uh, want to welcome all the uh, people who have just joined us on Insta Instagram. I am Clay250 writes, I love The Walking Dead. Uh, Colette and Lindsay both write great article. KB writes, Dale was straightforward. And it was just impossible to keep a secret from him. It's like he already knows, just waiting for the right time to talk about it. Exactly. And Dale was uh, the father figure to the group. Before, you know, before he he died. And then, of course, that role was passed on to Herschel. And when Herschel was murdered by the governor, there was a big void. Because nobody really stepped into that role since. Rick was not the father figure. Uh, Rick was the leader. Okay? And it's kind of hard to be the leader of a group but yet also be sort of like the, the father figure who gives out good advice. The two, the, the two just don't go hand in hand. Uh, Stone Walker writes, Dale was a father to Glenn and meant a lot to him. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. So let's move on to the next thing. 10 horror movies. This is from Screen Rant. 10 horror movies that were definitely inspired by Silence of the Lambs. So, I gotta read this. The Silence of the Lambs was one of the most iconic horror movies of the 90s. And here are 10 movies that took obvious inspiration from it. Unlike villains such as Freddy Krueger or Jason, Hannibal Lecter isn't a traditional killer with supernatural abilities. And when they say supernatural abilities, meaning that no matter which way you kill them, they always keep coming back. Uh, instead, he was unnerving and scary due to his psychology. And talking about psychopaths, or better yet, insane, would be a better term as Hannibal Lecter. He's a person who not only can convince you that the person he just killed was justified, he's the kind of person that can convince you to eat and swallow your own tongue, like he did to uh, 
his cell neighbor back in Silence of the Lambs. What was that dude's name? Forgetting his cell neighbor's uh, name that he actually convinced to bite off and eat his own tongue. That's how twisted Hannibal was. It was also an interesting twist to have the FBI work alongside a serial killer to try and capture another killer. It's a clever movie, and the way it's shot and the ideas created were certainly memorable, which is why many movies since have been inspired by it. And number 10 on the list is uh, The Bone Collector from 1999. Okay, The Bone Collector movie all about detectives searching for a serial killer who leaves behind clues for them to work around. That's because the Bone Collector certainly takes inspiration from Silence of the Lambs in the sense which provides tension and a real thrill, a real thrill throughout the entire movie. Number nine is another great movie starring Johnny Depp, and that is Secret Window, 2004. Great movie. If you guys have not watched this, definitely watch it. It's a, it's, it's an amazing movie. One of the big reasons that Silence of the Lambs was both unnerving and engaging at the same time was the intelligence that the characters had. Hannibal Lecter may have been a villain, but he was also smart. And that is one of the reasons that Secret Window is so good. Number eight is Frailty, 2002. When it comes to the idea of psychological horror movies, Frailty is a brilliant example of it, where there is the idea of demons in this one as the God's Hands killer story is played out. The movie constantly has audiences on edge with its clever dialogue and great twists and turns. Number seven, the Saw franchise. From 2004 to 2017, it is being revived this year. Uh, not with the same sense, but it's a new movie that is derived from the Saw franchise called Spiral with Chris Rock in it. And that is coming out uh, later on this year. So, of course, the Saw franchise is mainly known for the gore and the gruesome traps and games that the characters are forced to endure. However, there's also a lot of psychology within these movies, which is where the similarity of Silence of the Lambs becomes clear. John Kramer might create the traps to torture others, but the thought process that goes into everything he does is where the inspiration seems obvious. He talks throughout every decision, and every action has a reason and a clear consequence, and is the, as is the case with Hannibal Lecter. Uh, Stone Walker writes, uh, this movie is on my watch list. Uh, Colette on Facebook writes, it's great, Secret Window. It is great. It really is great. And it has such a great twist at the end. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it really has such a great twist ending. So please, if you haven't watched it, you got to watch Secret Window. Johnny Depp, who's an amazing actor, was brilliant in that. Uh, Khaleesi, Miggs, yes, thank you, Khaleesi. Miggs was uh, Hannibal's next uh, cellmate, cellmate over 
he's uh, the one that Hannibal convinced to bite and swallow his own tongue. Yeah, granted, the guy was not really mentally stable. He was in an insane asylum for the criminally insane. But still, you know, you got to have a sharp tongue to have somebody do that. Number six is another movie that I bet you a lot of people here have never heard of or watched. It's called Copycat, 1995 with Sigourney Weaver. I can't believe it's that old, 1995. I mean, damn. Uh, This is a great movie. Uh, I'm going to give you my own summary about it. Sigourney Weaver plays a uh, professor slash uh, doctor who works alongside... Well, she's a novelist. She's an author who writes about famous serial killers. And she's so good at what she does, she works alongside uh, law enforcement to catch serial killers until she actually becomes the victim of a serial killer. She gets saved, she doesn't get killed, but that traumatizes her so much, it makes her become a recluse, does not leave her apartment until these copycat killings start popping up from all the famous serial killers in the past, uh, from the Boston Strangler, Dahmer, uh, everybody, you name it. Somebody is copying the uh, these killings down to the very last detail. And it's a great movie, the way it plays out from the beginning to the end. So that's another one. If you have not seen, I definitely recommend that you put on the list. Number five, Split. Man, this is just a a list of great, great movies. Uh, Split, 2016. One element of Hannibal Lecter that is very interesting is how his personality changes depending on the situation. He can be calm and kind at points, yet he is psychotic at others. And that constant change is what keeps audiences on edge when it comes to him as a character. This is something that Split took to new heights with the the character of Kevin, who has over 20 different personalities. And he actually has named this group of extra personalities. He suffers from DID. Dissociative Identity Disorder, what used to be called Split Personality. And Kevin here has 20 of them, at least. Uh, In the sequel, there's a lot more than 20. But he calls them the Horde. And that's what they are. They are the Horde. And the sequel, the sequel to this movie is actually a sequel to three different movies. They take three different movies and they combine them together to make a sequel and it's brilliant and it's called glass i think is what the sequel is called uh anyway this is something that split took to new heights with the character of kevin who has over 20 personalities he's an excellent character that people aren't able to predict which is something that lector did brilliantly and the film remains a high point in the career of director M. Knight Shyamalan. So that's another one to put on the list. Number four, 2007's Zodiac. 
Much like Silence of the Lambs, this movie really leans into the thriller and mystery elements to provide the intrigue. And it's clear to see that it was inspired by that element of the movie. Of course, this is based on a true story with the Zodiac Killer, and it follows Robert Graysmith as he becomes obsessed with trying to find out who is behind the murders. And for a little bit of history lesson, uh, the Zodiac Killer is the killer that has never been found, haunted the Bay Area uh, from the late 60s and on. And uh, Marie, I know you're watching. Did you know, Marie, that the Zodiac's first known killing was in Lake Berryessa? You know, I'm bringing this up because Marie lives very close to where the Zodiac killer, his first accredited kill is in uh, uh, Lake Berryessa, which is in uh, uh, near Sonoma, California, or Napa, California. They're both mixed and matched. Anyway, uh, there are rumors that the Zodiac started killing much earlier than that, and that uh, his killing actually started in Los Angeles. But his first credited kill is the, uh, it was a couple that was parked by Lake Berryessa in the Bay Area in Northern California. So, uh, Marie writes, yep, super close. Number three on the list is Prisoners, 2013. Much like Silence of the Lambs, Prisoners is all about psychology. And it focuses on a villain outsmarting the police, leading protagonist Keller Dover having to take matters into his own hands when his daughter ends up missing. Keller has to do everything in his power to locate her, which sees him become increasingly more desperate, leading to some perturbing torture scenes. Number two on the list, Seven. Ah, you know, I mean, if you haven't watched Seven... You got, I mean, what, what can I say? Just watch it. If you're a horror fan, you have to watch Seven. Uh, Seven is one of the greatest psychological movies of all time. And I vouch for that. I back that statement up 100%. And it's one that will force audiences to think and question things from start to finish. Bringing detectives together to find a killer who is using the seven deadly sins to claim his victims. This movie is very much about mind games. Uh, the serial killer is always one step ahead of the detectives, which is a similar feel to Silence of the Lambs. Having the intelligence to be put into a movie makes it very similar, and that's why this movie ended up becoming so popular. Seven is a movie that no matter how old it gets, it's going to remain a classic. Jason, who's with us on Facebook, writes seven, one of my all-time favorite films. Kevin Spacey was brilliant in it. He played the killer. And uh, wow, what an amazing, I mean, he's a great actor, but what an amazing job. You had Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, Kevin Spacey, I mean, talk about a great cast. And the movie was phenomenal. Uh, let's see. Number one on the list is American Psycho with Christian Bale. The year 2000. 
There are some clear similarities between Patrick Bateman and Hannibal Lecter in the sense that they are both charming yet equally terrifying. While American Psycho happily showcases the horror and murders that he commits, his over-the-top personality and intelligence definitely parallels the personality of Hannibal Lecter at certain points. Patrick's intelligence and psychology are things that make him very memorable, a very memorable movie villain, which is one of the main reasons why Hannibal Lecter was so popular. Seeing this throughout the process and explanations add a new element to the proceedings and feel obviously inspired by Silence of the Lambs, though the most obvious influence was the Brett Easton Ellis novel on which it was based. And for those that have seen American Psycho, another great movie, I don't know if I would put it number one on this list. Uh, to me, seven would be number one. But uh, the ending of American Psycho, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it just, for me, that ending, the movie is great. The ending, uh, it could have been a little bit more clear-cut because you're left questioning a lot of things by the time this movie ends. But still, it's not like the kind of ending that ruins a film. And we've all seen our share of movies where we have a good movie and they try a little too hard in the final 30 seconds and end up kind of sport, you know, ruining the rest of the movie. That does not hold true for American Psycho. It's just an ending that really leaves you questioning. That's all I'm saying. Welcome to So Black Squirrel on Instagram, who's waving at us. Inta is also with us on Instagram. Hello to you guys. Davio has just joined us on YouTube. Uh, Colette says, I agree with you, Viz, uh, as does Lindsay. Uh, Jason on Facebook writes, it's a bizarre ending. Exactly. It's a bizarre ending, and I think, I think they just could have done kind of they could have done it differently. I'm not saying that the way they did it is wrong. In my opinion, it could have been done differently. That's all I'm saying. So, damn, looking at the time here. Uh, let's see. We have art. We have a lot of articles here. Let's see where we should go next. Ben Wheatley's new horror in the Earth posters teases tomorrow's trailer. Do we actually have a trailer in here or just a poster? It looks like we just have a poster, a new horror movie coming out by Ben Wheatley called In the Earth. Tagline is Take the Trip. We will return to that at some later date. We have uh, Guillermo del Toro's Mimic, 1997. WTF happened to this horror movie. That's... (laughs) That's a classic headline, and I, I mainly pulled it up because of this uh, headline. Uh, let's see, The Invisible Man, The Exorcist, and more horror hits leaving HBO Max in April. So if you guys are HBO Max subscribers, uh, it's good to know that there are some titles that if you have been waiting to watch on HBO Max, they will not be available in April. Uh, those include The Invisible Man, which is an amazing movie, American Werewolf in London, The Exorcist, The Hills Have Eyes, Part 1 and 2, 
the Invisible Man, we already said, Ma, and Open Water. Le- next, 13 killer horror movies coming, coming to Amazon Prime in April. Let's quickly go through the uh, list here. Uh, this is from Dread Central. Motel Hell, okay? April 1st, Smiley Face Killers, who stars our uh, guest that we've had on this show, Ronan Rubenstein, who's also on 911 Lone Star. Smiley Face Killers coming to, uh, where was it? It was Amazon. Yep, Amazon Prime, uh, April 1st. Also April 1st, The Dead Zone, uh, the original Dead Zone with Christopher Walken. The Gift, April 1st, with uh, Mark Wahlberg. The Happening, also uh, April 1st. Unhinged, uh, April 2nd. Blair Witch, and this is not the original, it's the sequel, April 3rd. High Rise, April 7th. Pulse is also coming April 7th. Troll Hunter, same date. Paranormal Activity 4, which was not that bad. Paranormal Activity 4 is coming to Amazon Prime on April 12th. Spontaneous, also on the same date. Them on April 9th. So those are the 13 movies that are premiering on Amazon Prime in April. What else do we got? What else do we got? We don't have enough time to do a film review, but this is a review of a film called Honeydew, flame-grilled rural horror. A pair of city slickers find predictable trouble in the deepest New England, but Devereux Milber Shocker has an atmospheric edge. Sounds interesting. We'll get we'll get to that at a later date. So we also have uh, 80s horror movies that are losing their shine. So, I mean, this is just a long, not that long, but of an article. But basically, it encompasses some uh, 80s movies that are, like it says in the uh, title, losing their luster. And I'm just looking over some of the titles here, uh, like The Fly, The Blob, Alien... Alien will never lose its luster. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Tales from the Crypt. Elvira. Guys, remember Elvira? Uh, let's see. Just uh, quickly squirrel, uh, squ- uh, squirreling. Scrolling down here. Nightmare on Elm Street. That's another classic. That's never going to get old. The Hunger. Angel Heart. Oh, my God. Angel Heart. Uh, I love that movie. Hellraiser. Uh, from Bates Motel to 2018's Halloween, its future sequels, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. Today's horror is great, but to some, it's nothing but fillers and people who are remaking everything for money. Well, at the end of the day, guys, movies are a business. So, of course, if you get down to the bottom of it, every movie is made for business. I'm not saying that the filmmakers, you know, they have a love and a passion for the movies. But the production and the distribution companies, of course, it comes down to dollars and cents. And that's a great place to uh, to leave it, uh, especially since it's talking about reboots and remakes. We uh, brought up a video 
on like 10 of the worst remakes in uh, the recent history. It's by Watch Mojo. It's by our friends at Watch Mojo. We are going to watch this together and see if uh, all the movies that they have picked to be on this list deserve to be on the worst horror remakes. And like I said at the beginning of this show, the majority of remakes do not fall in the awesome category. The majority of the remakes, because they are remakes from successful original movies, they have a bigger burden than other films, and more than often, they don't meet the expectations. So let's go ahead and bring up this video, check it out, and see what we think about it. All right, here we go. This is again from Watch Mojo. Welcome to Viviana, who's with us on Facebook. We can all agree that some things are best left alone, especially when it comes to the classics in horror. Those, oh my God, those beady Welcome red to eyes. WatchMojo.com, and today we're counting down our picks for the top 10 worst horror movie remakes. Get you and your family out of that house right now. For this list, we've picked movie remakes in the horror genre based on a mix of their lack of originality, negative reviews, poor acting and or production, as well as those that seemed completely unnecessary and or that they were redone only to make money. Number 10, House on Haunted Hill. Some say the spirits of Vanekut and his victims still live within the walls of the House on Haunted Hill. As the first movie produced by Dark Castle Entertainment. <laughs> a company that initially yeah, intended to specialize so in remakes, you would me. think that they would have put more effort into this production. I guess you'll just have to try harder next time. The original 1959 movie garnered a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. But this 1999 version squeaked out a meager 27%. From here on. I just gotta repeat Jason's comment. Jason Byrne on Facebook writes, There are two reasons to never forget Elvira. <laughs> Come on, Jason. And it gets really scary. Instead of being scary. House on Haunted Hill played on too many cheesy horror tropes. It wasn't goddamn ghosts. This is plain and simple, good old-fashioned homicide. And depended too much on special effects. Stephen, I want you. I've always wanted you. The result was a film that seemed rushed, with little attempt to make the characters likable. That's a whole new bunch of crazy shit. That's you'll hate that shit. Number nine, the Amityville Horror. Go, <gasps> oh, God. This movie tries to pay homage to the 1979 original. It wasn't... I mean, nothing can compare to the original, but I mean, it wasn't horrible, the remake. But it should have tried harder to be original. Instead of coming off as authentic, maintaining the 1970s look for the set design seemed like a cheap way to make the movie appear scarier than it really is. We stay here. We'll have a house for the family, only there won't be a family. The Amityville horror hinges on the believability of the father's descent into madness. 
But nice guy Ryan Reynolds was horribly miscast for the role. You listen to me. Ouch. You don't go down there. Understand? You really did a the good The movie job, seemed though. to focus more on his washboard abs rather than the character's psyche. Seriously, you trying to kill me? Number eight, Carrie. In contrast to the Oscar-nominated 1976 adaptation, there was just something about this 2013 version that felt too nice. Based on the Stephen King novel of the same name, Carrie tells the story of a young outcast who discovers she is telekinetic. Telekinesis unlocking the mind. In the first film, Sissy Spacek brought a vulnerability and otherness to the role. Got to the prom. However, in this adaptation, Chloe Grace Moretz seemed too likable to play a social misfit, and her make under wasn't anywhere near believable. My own, I, they mentioned it, so I'm going to expand on that point. In the remake, uh, okay, in the original and in the book, Carrie was an outcast because she was socially awkward, amongst other things. She was not the prettiest girl in the school, socially awkward, introverted, and, and the list goes on. And I do agree with them saying that Chloe, uh, you know, who was cast to play the role of Carrie in the remake, is a beautiful girl. And you look at this girl and you're like, why would this girl be an outcast in high school? So that's the point they're trying to make when they say that. My light went out Almost again. everyone in this new cast seemed too Hollywood and glamorous for their parts, and it just didn't work. This is bullshit! We didn't do anything wrong! Alright, let's go! Right, Sue? You're with me on this, right? Number 7. One Missed Call To listen to your messages, press 1. Voice call received Wednesday, June 14, 12.02 p.m. Hollywood often imports Asian horror movies and remakes them for a Western audience. But I heard them, okay? Leanne got a phone call, and so did Brian right before they died. The original and they was don't done always in 2004. Do well. This film is no exception. Any dead people call? We're not home. Instead of playing up the suspense and darkness of the 2003 Japanese flick, <laughs> 2008's One Missed Call added forced relationships and random scenes that were meant to scare but ultimately failed. That's not my ringtone. It says it's from Shelley. That's creepy. For those of you that don't know what One Missed Call is about, uh, the original and the remake, obviously, it's about a woman who gets a, fo a phone call from her future self that ends with her screaming and dying on the phone. Great concept, and the original movie's amazing. Uh, I have not watched the remake from start to finish. I've watched it in bits and pieces, but the original is an amazing movie, and it has a great concept, just like I, j I explained. The script had no direction, and it was universally panned for trying to borrow elements from other horror movies. 32 p.m. on Friday. It's two days from now. 
The cast's uninteresting performances only made matters worse. Ryan! You're found! Damn it, I forgot. I swear if I didn't have my head screwed on. Number six, Prom Night. It's prom Night? That boy's planning on getting laid. The 1980 no, version of Prom Night us. was a straightforward slasher flick and knew it. Kelly. For me, the 1980 Prom Night was uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. It also had a completely different storyline. However, this 2008 remake pretends to be something that it's I'm not by adding way Jamie too much Lee backstory Curtis to make the movie more Terror interesting. Look at me. Can we go now? It's one of those movies This resulted in the forgotten. opposite effect, proving just how poorly but written and stereotypical great. many of its characters it's were. It's Terror Train. It's making me so damn mad, and on top of that, I have killer cramps. And in an attempt to earn more viewers and keep the movie PG-13, the filmmakers barely showed any bloodshed on screen, which kind of misses the point of a slasher film. Please don't do this. Please don't. Ah! Ah! don't be afraid. Donna! 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 Number five, yeah, A Nightmare I'll, I'll on Elm it. Street. Produced by Michael Bay's horror production company Platinum Dunes, the remake of the well-regarded 1984 film yeah, seemed pretty this, pointless too. from the start. Wake up, this Wake was up. Not a to change remake. things up, the 2010 film took some of the campier elements away from Freddy in an attempt to get to his darker roots. This night, one little. I don't like how they just. This made a nightmare on Elm Street feel bloated with Krieger, backstory and unnecessary exposition. They changed his whole he personality. He lived in the basement of the preschool, and you kids were his life. The movie CGI also seemed to distract from the actual story, and it wasn't as memorable. It might have been a financial success, especially for an R-rated film, but it had nothing on Wes Craven's take. Who are you? Number four. The Omen. Damien? You okay? The studio behind this movie clearly saw an opportunity when it chose to release this remake of the 1976 suspense horror on June 6, 2006, or 666, otherwise known as the number of the beast. For only when he is within you can you defeat the devil's son. But instead of doing anything remotely creative with the concept, they just retold the original movie frame by frame. For only if he is within you can you defeat the son of the devil. I see. He's killed once. The He'll Omen kill again. remake is The Omen was acceptable enough for those who'd never seen the Richard Donner That's version. That's the best. Uh, he knew that he was dying. Apparently, not yes. even close to the original. It's just a forgettable movie. You he even forget that, that there was a, a remake even But done. those who had were cheated. He knew he was dying. Yeah, apparently. He said... They wanted to be forgiven by Christ. Despite a stellar cast, including Mia Farrow, Liev Schreiber, and Julia Stiles, the movie fell flat, and I'm there were very Julia few thrills. I'm a big Julia Stiles fan. I love Julia Stiles. But as you can see, they really just three, copied the original the frame by frame. It killed them. Oh, you know how I feel the about this. 
Despite being Horrible. produced by John this Carpenter, the director of, of the 1980 original. Stay away from the fog. I mean, the 2005 remake directed oh by God, Rupert Wainwright was problematic from start to finish. Fog killed them. Instead of creating the same sense of suspense and mystery the first film featured, I think I'll go to Vancouver now. This rendition was clunky and virtually scareless. And the story was just stupid. Viewers and critics complained the about the lack of empathetic characters. And the fact that many of these were reduced to horror movie cliches. You know it sounds crazy, but I, I felt like I'd seen it somewhere before. Not to mention the fact that the film received a whopping 4% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, alerting potential viewers to stay away from the get-go. Yeah, this whole scene and the ending, oh my god. It's like, what the hell are you guys doing? What is this? Number two, The Wicker Man. Uh, you know anything about a place called Summer's Isle? As an actor, Nicolas Cage... Let's just quickly see what number one is. We're almost out of time. But yeah, for me, number five, uh, The Fog would be number one on this list. Without a doubt. Hey, hey, hey. The Hitcher. What are you doing, man? Okay. Right, you know what? That's it. Ride's over, pal. So, The Hitcher, another classic film that uh, the remake is just forgettable. That's the best way. I mean, it wasn't horrible if it was something on its own, done a little bit differently. It would have been cool and great. Not great, but it would have been cool. Uh, but the original Hitcher is amazing. And it's just one of those remakes, forgettable. The Fog, horrible. So, anyway, that's the list of some of the worst horror me uh, remakes that have come out in the uh, recent past. For the most part, they're right. There are a lot of remakes in there that you completely forget were even remade because there was nothing memorable about them. If you remember the title, your mind does not go to the remake, it goes to the original. So, it didn't help the storyline. All it did was bring in new char new actors to play the same characters on a frame-by-frame -frame basis. And if The Fog would have at least done that, it would not have been as bad as it was. Because, I mean, it takes a lot. I, I don't really criticize movies unless they're really, really bad. But The Fog remake was bad. Anyway, guys, we are out of time for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. Visit us at deadtalklive.com. Follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. It's been a pleasure as always. We are really short on time, almost past it. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll be back on the air again with you guys tomorrow. Stay safe and always stay walking. Good night.